<laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> so we're looking at facing a new year, aren't we? What is that line of eternity? Uh, what is that line of time? You know, <laughs> it feels like what he said in that video. I, I like the fact that we're fighting in the red zone the whole time we're here, aren't we? And that's, that's the place that it's the toughest. You know, we're going to look at Philippians 3, 12 through 14 from Paul's uh, writings, but uh, there's an old story <laughs> about a happy little boy who went out into this field wearing a baseball cap. And in one hand, he had a baseball, and in the other hand, he had his baseball bat, okay? And he, he, he had this look of tremendous confidence on him as he walked out there. So cocking his bat back, and I've done this many times, you know, and he tossed that ball in the air and, and he yelled out, I'm the greatest batter in the world. And he swung and missed. Strike one, he said. <laughs> so he picked up the ball and kind of looked at it and examined it a little bit. And then he threw it up in the air again and swung and yelling, I'm the greatest batter in the world. Hmm, missed it again. Strike two. So this time he stopped and he examined his bat, you know, to make sure there wasn't a hole in it or something. <laughs> and he picked up the ball, adjusted his cap a little bit, and tossed the ball back up in the air a third time. And he repeated again, the greatest batter in the world. And he swung again and missed again for the third time. And he goes, cries out, just cries out, wow, what a pitcher. I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. <laughs> Yeah. You know, sometimes we kind of find that don't we, in our lives. We think, I'm going to do really good at this. And then we find out, oh, well, maybe not quite this. Maybe this one over here. Yeah. You know, th this is the second Sunday of a new year. And, and as we look back over this last 12 months, I'm not sure whether any of us will be considered pitchers or batters. <laughs> but one thing's for sure. At times, we've all struck out, haven't we? Once or twice, somewhere. So I guess it's good to be able to kind of start over afresh, to get a new look, a new perspective on things around us. This week, a lot of boys and girls that just wait, you know, they return back to their classrooms, and a lot of young people are heading off to college, and, and most of us are just recovering from all the activities of the Christmas holidays, aren't they? <laughs> And, and then heading back to our jobs or activities of this new year. So, what, what do you anticipate for this new year? What do you anticipate? Are, are, are you full of enthusiasm, looking forward eagerly to what, what each day is going to bring to us? Or are you filled with kind of a sense of dread or doubt? Worried that this year, ah, maybe it's going to be worse than last year. Hmm. Well... The little, like the little boy with the bat. Can I suggest to you that your attitude, your, your frame of mind, the way you look at things, and your reaction to its events are going to determine for you whether this year is a victory or whether it's a defeat. It's how you think about things, how you look at things. The Apostle Paul was never one to let circumstances conquer him. Rather, with the help of God, he was determined to win that victor's crown, wasn't he? 
And listen to his attitude, his dedication and determination, how it shines through these words found in Philippians 3, 12 and through 14. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining forward to what's ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Those are important, powerful words, friends. They are. And with Paul's words kind of fresh in our minds here, here are some suggestions to kind of help uh, that we all can kind of see this year, kind of be what that time frame is like. Recognize what the value of time is. How do you value a year? Well, ask a student who's failed a grade and has to go back and do it over again. How do you value one month? <laughs> Rachel and Scott know. You know, ask a mother whose baby arrived prematurely. <laughs> How do you value one week? Well, ask some editors of a weekly paper, newspaper or something. How do you value an hour? Ask someone who's terminally ill, waiting for a loved one who's late to come see them. How about how do you value a minute? Ask someone who missed a plane or a train or an important engagement that's never going to be rescheduled again. How do you value the second? Ask an Olympic medalist or someone who just missed having an accident or someone saying goodbye to a loved one that they're never going to see again. Hmm. Of course, we know that time is a human invention, really. I, I'm convinced that God doesn't wear a wristwatch every day. <laughs> the Bible says in 2 Peter 3.8, With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. You see, God deals with eternity, and therefore time itself is not as relevant as we make it, is it? But time is important to us because we live in a limited time frame here. We begin with infancy, then we go to adolescence and adulthood and middle age and old age and everything that follows. We measure life in kind of these segments of time, don't we? So I want you to think about what, what makes something valuable? Oftentimes it, it, it's being scarce or hard to find, isn't it? You know, if there's a scarcity of something, well, it usually escalates in value, right? If something's rare, it's usually pretty valuable. But when you have a lot of something, well, that kind of loses its value. And really, the same's true with time, isn't it? Maybe that, that helps us explain the generation gap. I don't know. Young people feel like they have plenty of time. That therefore, time loss uh, loses its value kind of to them. They aren't too concerned about wasting it or squandering it. <laughs> well, not realizing that they could walk out that door. And who knows, a car could hit them, something. Never know. 
On the other hand, we, you know, we get up in a bit in years a bit, you know, we we begin to realize that our time's becoming more rare and therefore more valuable to us, isn't it? You know, as those of us over 60, we look at those under 20 and say, don't waste your time. Don't waste it <laughs> because it's valuable. And they replied, no, it's not. We have lots of time. So we can waste it the way we want to. <laughs> Nothing about the fact, you know, not really thinking about the fact that their time could end at any moment, any moment, any of us. And the wider that age gap, the wider the generation gap because the different values we place on time. The Bible oftentimes speaks of the brevity of life, doesn't it? It compares life to kind of a weaver's shuttle rapidly going back and forth and back and forth. And just like the shadows of summer that quickly disappear to grass which grows up and dies and then is burned. No wonder the psalmist... <laughs> Ask God in Psalm 8.4, what is man that you are mindful of him? Hmm. Huh. I found some interesting things. Statisticians tell us that the average lifespan is now about 79 years. If you're under 30, well, then you think that's a long time. <laughs> but if you're nearing that age or over it, right, um, well, you're beginning to realize, well, it's not very long at all. <laughs> I ran across some statistics that go along with this a while ago and someone went to the trouble to research what people do with it, with their time and he came up with these results and I thought it was interesting it says if we live to be about 79 most of us will have spent three solid years 24 hours a day acquiring an education grade school high school college whatever <laughs> if we will have spent seven years eating 24 hours a day some less and some more, obviously. <laughs> we'll have spent uh, 13, 14, 15 years day and night working. We'll have spent six years riding in automobiles and planes and such. We'll have spent about eight years, again, to all this is 24 hours a day, talking with each other. Again, some more, some less, yeah. We'll have spent one year sick or recovering from sickness. And get this, we'll have spent 24 years of our life sleeping. We'll have spent three years reading books or magazines or newspapers or whatever. And 12, 13 years of amusing ourselves watching TV or going to the movies or fishing or hobbies or whatever. Totals up to about 79 years. And that's what the researchers say on average most of us will have done with our lives in our time. And as I looked at those statistics, I, I, I began thinking, let's suppose that you spent every Sunday of your life for 79 years through infancy, childhood, adulthood, old age, in God's house right here, worshiping Him during church service every single Sunday. Now, if you did that, how much time would you have spent worshiping God? You figure it out, it's about six months. <laughs> now let's double it, okay? Let's double it. You know, that because you've always attended Sunday school, right? Every, every week, you never miss Sunday school in your life, so that brings it up to about 12 months. <laughs> Think about that. Six years in an automobile and just 12 months in church. You know, 
13 years amusing ourselves with TV and such, and 12 months in church and Sunday school. And that's just if you always attended church and Sunday school and never missed a Sunday. <laughs> that tells us a little bit about the brevity of time, doesn't it? And it also tells us something about our priorities in life, doesn't it? The Bible also teaches us that life is uncertain, doesn't it? Time is like a valuable commodity in a very precious and delicate vessel. It is. It might break at any moment. And it, we might lose it all. So, friends, we have this moment right now. We don't know anything about the future, really. But we have this moment. And that's all we really have at right now. Because because of that uncertainty of life, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. It doesn't say next Sunday or next year or next birthday. Hebrews 3.15 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Because life is uncertain. We must take advantage of the time that we have. Just as well, secondly, don't, don't be living in bondage to your past. We are special beings that God created. And he's given us the ability to remember, hasn't he? Your memory may be your friend, or it could be your enemy. Yeah? When you remember, hopefully you remember some very pleasant things about this past year. But chances are, you'll also remember some real negative things. In fact, sometimes we just tend to focus on the negatives, don't we? And we begin to feel sorry for ourselves. Maybe this past year was a time of transition in your life. <laughs> Who knows, maybe kids grew up and married, left home. and Maybe your job came to an end or you're having a tough time making ends meet. Maybe a loved one passed away and you're trying to deal with that lingering grief and loneliness. Maybe it's when a time of sin got a hold of you in your life and you feel like the burden and the guilt is right there of that sin. You see, those things can cripple us and hold us bondage in our past. They can. That's why Paul said, forgetting what's behind, forgetting what's behind. Paul had a lot to forget, didn't he? He did. I, I mean, he had a pretty shady past. He persecuted the church and he used his authority to kill Christians. And by his own admission, he said, I am the chief of sinners. He could have walked around all his life with this tremendous burden of guilt crippling him. And, and, and he would have never become the great apostle we know and love today. But Paul says, forgetting what's behind. Forgetting. In other words, God, I commit to you. I commit it all to you. I seek your forgiveness for all the sins of the past. And I look forward to what lies ahead. And right now, I'm going to live today the best I can. I believe, you know, that's good advice for us too, isn't it? And finally, friends, I think that we need to establish priority in our lives. Paul says it this way. This one thing I do. 
One thing. Now, Paul, Paul obviously did more than one thing, didn't he? I mean, he made tents, he preached sermons, he established churches, he wrote books, he did a lot of different things. <laughs> but he said, the top priority in my life is to press onward to the goal, to win the prize for which God has called him heavenward in Christ Jesus. A while back, a, an expert of time management was speaking to a group of uh, business students. After speaking to him for a while, he said, okay, it's time for a quiz. So he brought out this big one gallon clear, you know, um, jar, mason jar with a wide mouth on the top. You know, we've seen those. And, uh, and he set it on the table in front of him. And then he, he produced about a dozen, oh, fist-sized rocks. And he placed them one at a time inside that jar until the jar was full. When it was filled up to the top and no more rocks would fit inside, he asked, is this jar full? Everyone in the class said, sure, yeah, it's full. Really? Then he reached under the table and pulled out a bucket of gravel and started pouring it into the jar. And then he shook the jar a little bit so the gravel would filter down between the rocks and everything. And as soon as he got to the top with that, he, he, he said, uh, okay, is this jar full? And they were kind of catching on to him now. And one guy yelled out, no. <laughs> he said, okay, good, good. And then he reached under the table and pulled out a bucket of sand. And uh, he started pouring the sand into there and he shook it a little bit more too so the sand would filter down in between the rocks and the pebbles and stuff. And, and uh, <laughs> once again he asked, is this jar full? No, they shouted. Again he said, good. Then he grabbed a pitcher of water and poured water into it till it was full, full to the brim with water. <laughs> and he looked back at the class and asked, what's the point of this illustration? One eager guy, he just raised his hand and said, I know, I know. The point is, no matter how full your schedule is, you can really try hard and get, always fit something else into it. <laughs> he goes, no, not even, no. He said, that's not the point at all. The truth this illustration teaches us is that if you don't put the big rocks in first, you're never going to get them in at all. Never going to get them in at all. So friends, what's the big rocks in your life? What are the big rocks in your life? They should include these things, things like each day drawing nearer to God, spending time with Him in prayer, and seeking His guidance for you through His Word. Those are the big rocks we need to put in first. Friends, remember to put those big rocks in or you're never going to get them in at all if you let the sand and gravel and everything else fill up the space. It was Jesus who said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. We've just gone through another Christmas season, haven't we? Which the world was reminded again. We are all reminded again that God so loved this world that he gave his only son us. In his love, God offered us the most wonderful and valuable gift that we could ever receive. An old beggar woman ran out of money. She couldn't pay her rent. 
She couldn't pay any of her bills. The landlord had threatened to throw her out on the street if she didn't pay her rent. She had only one candle to keep her warm, and so on Christmas Day she warmed her hands over the candle. There was a knock at the door, and she was afraid to answer in fear that it was the landlord coming to kick her out. She blew out the candle and just sat there quietly in the dark and waited for the intruder to leave. Two weeks later, she found out that that knocking on the door was a knock of a friend who had come to bring her enough money to pay her rent and take care of all of her debts. I wonder how many of us from time to time have heard that gentle knock of the Savior who wants so much to come in and free us from the burdens that we carry with us. But we've ignored his knocking. How many have gone through that? This morning, in this fresh new year, God's invitation is offered to any and all who would accept him and receive him and make him the priority of their lives. He came as a baby in a manger, but he also came as the redeemer. And this morning, he patiently waits for each one of you, each one of you. Will you come to him? Will you make him the priority of your life? Will you? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for giving us the opportunity to know you and desire you more, Father. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do to us and, and your promise, and you've never broken a promise, Lord, that you promise us that if we make come to you and make you first in our life, in your righteousness, that you'll add what we need to our lives. And I know for a fact that's the truth. Every minute of every day, you prove that, Lord. Let us not focus on the darkness of this world, but shine our light so that others can see that and come to know the peace and the joy that only you can bring, Lord. Let us come to you and share these words. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.